Welcome to the Insider World Building Podcast, a place to experience life in another dimension, told from the perspective of a visitor to that dimension. I'm Fox Keys, that visitor is me, that dimension is called Dunaree, and I've lived here since I was tricked into passing through an interdimensional gateway just after my 14th birthday. So what's this show all about? Well, not only do I wish to share the story of how I survive in Dunaree, I hope my experiences in how I was taught to understand this world may help you build your own unique secondary world. This week, I describe how I was prepared to see the City of Bones, then I will provide some context on that preparation, and how it may help you imagine a unique city for your world. And of course I will finish up with the strange but true snippet. Just a few things though before we begin. This show has been sponsored, not by any Irish company or any US company or anything like that, no. It's been sponsored by a Dunaree company. Yes, you heard that correctly. It's nonsense, of course. There's not a hope in hell anyone for Dunaree is ever going to hear this show. Nor is there any hope in hell that you are ever going to see the product that I am sponsoring. But there you go. The only reason I can think of so many companies, according to Ganhook, want to sponsor me and want to get on this show, is that they know something I don't know. Perhaps there is some grand invasion plan that the armies of Dunaree are going to stream through the interdimensional gateway and take over Ireland and the rest of the world. And following the armies, all these companies are going to stream through then with all their products. And we'll be ready for them because you will have heard about them on this show. I'm sure there's another reason for all of this as well. But Ganhunt doesn't tell me much. He's the one that suggested I get a sponsor. Why? Because I happened to tell him that all the podcasts that I listen to from Ireland, they all have sponsors. Oh, he said, well, you could have one too. I'm sure I'll find plenty of companies to do it. Which he did. Here we go with the sponsorship. I'm not a professional actor, so it's probably not going to sound very lively. This show is sponsored by the Juravel Sugar Chocolate Company, maker of Jura, the finest sugar chocolate this side of the Algot Mountains. Uh, That's the sponsors. Now, I will add two things to that. I actually love sugar chocolate. That could be a reason that this was the first company I was asked to have on the show. Also, they should also tell you that if you like sugar chocolate, it's only for people who have money because you're going to need more money to buy beer clothes because sugar chocolate is absolutely addictive. You will eat plenty of it and you will get bigger and you will need new clothes. Now, the sponsors didn't want me to tell you that, did they? But they're never going to hear it anyway. 
And one unfortunate side effect of this sponsorship thing is that because a number of companies are lining up to sponsor the show and those companies want exclusive access, that prevents me from advertising lots of the world-building tools that I use in Doonery and comparing them to tools that I'm going to use on the virtual Doonery that I'm creating. It's a bit of a pain, but I will somehow try and get around that and introduce these tools in a different way. Let's see what happens. Right now, if I introduce a tool about world-building and a rival company is sponsoring this show, they won't be happy. And if they're not happy, Ganhug won't be happy. And if Ganhug's not happy, I won't be happy either. Nobody will be happy. Now, after that sponsorship nonsense is out of the way, we can move on. Let me bring you back to when I was 14. I had only been in Doonery a few weeks. I had been confined to Ganhug's compound, but I was very eager to see outside, to see what was in the City of Bones. But it wasn't going to be as simple as just walking out the front door. I had to be prepared for it. And this is how Steincat did it. Ganhook never said boo about my underground adventure. But it felt like I had passed some tests. And that I was a big step closer to seeing outside. The following morning, when I rolled out of bed at 6.59, Shiny Top said, You look happier this morning. He was right. For the first time since I'd arrived in Dunery, I had zero morning anxiety, and I felt ready for the day. Instinct told me I would soon see the City of Bones. Boosting this instinct was the fact that the images visible through the Room Zero window had sharpened. Although I suspect that this had more to do with my seventh relic experience, than some sudden improvement in my drawing. Okay, so the window images weren't much sharper. I saw mainly blotches of colour, greens and browns, and lots and lots of whites. Pale whites. Bones, I presumed. The energy in the compound was lighter too. Warmer. Friendlier. I felt like I had received the touch of approval from the bone shadow and that this world would take me more seriously now. I said to Shiny Top, when was the last time you were outside? Many years ago, he replied. And it was dark. I saw little. No matter his mood, it was hard not to pity Shiny Top. I couldn't imagine what it was like to be imprisoned in that stick. I said, Will you be my guide outside? Yes, he replied, and the sooner the better. It occurred to me that Shiny Top was as keen to get outside as I was. Having no morning anxiety meant I was hungry. Ravenous, actually. I hurried down to the kitchen before the morning delivery of Shell Valley bread went cold. Steincat was there. This unsettled me. If we had one core thing in common, it was the fact that neither of us liked getting up early. I had never seen her in the kitchen before ten. I poked her, just to make sure it wasn't one of her ghosts. 
My finger found soft fur. Sorry, I murmured. She glared at me. She was certainly no morning star. Yes, she was cranky and selfish and had an ego bigger than Ireland. But she cared. About me. About everything. Besides, she was a cat. And cats were cranky and selfish and egotistic, no matter what dimension they were in. She said, You will soon venture outside. And she said this like she was talking to a five-year-old. It is dangerous outside, she added. I said, Well, it's no joke in here either, you know. Steincat stretched up to full height and said, The first sight of Bone City can dazzle you. And when it dazzles, there are those who wait to prey on the blind. I remembered overhearing Dad tell Mum that he'd been pickpocketed in Paris in his student days. He'd been gaping in amazement at the Eiffel Tower when his money disappeared. This sounded similar. I'd hardly buttered my bread when Steincat opened the letter case and spread a lot of manuscripts across the table. Manuscripts with pictures of bones. Bones that had windows and doors and gutters and chimneys. Some even had little gardens. I thought I was in for some bizarre biology lesson. What was all this about? Then Steinck had said, Some habitation dealers I know gave me these pictures. She pointed at the bone pictures. They'll prepare your mind for what awaits outside. Habitation dealers? I asked. Steinck nodded. Don't you know? If you want to sell your habitation, you must contact them. They'll help you sell it. I picked up one of the manuscripts. Beneath the picture of enormous fat bone with four windows and a door was a mass of words and figures. While I couldn't read the language, I knew it was an advertisement. These were the dunary equivalent of real estate brochures. Fascinated, I examined them. A long, curved ribcage lay sideways, half buried in the ground. An array of windows ran up along each rib. While some of the ribs had balconies, a few had wooden extensions attached, and a few others were connected with walkways that wound around the structure like some crazy mountain path. These ribs were attached with spine, and each spinal vertebrae had windows and a door too although there didn't seem to be any structure that had elevators or stairs. A big red arrow pointed to one of the larger vertebrae at the lower end of the column. Beside the arrow was a scrum of unrecognisable words and figures. Steincat pointed at the habitation and said, I've got a place like that. Cost me a fortune, but a great view of the city. You always pay for a view, you know. I honestly didn't know what to say, so I focused on the pictures. I recognised leg bones, claws, shoulder bones, hip bones, loose vertebrae, stringed vertebrae. Every one of them was huge, and every one of them was converted into a habitation. I didn't see any skulls, so I said, No skulls for sale? Steincat replied, 
Skulls and tusks are rarely sold. They're usually kept within the family. I analysed the habitations over breakfast. Some of them made Ganhook's compound look positively normal. After giving me plenty of time to fill my head with all this madness, Steinkat produced a green glass bottle shaped like a bulb. She said, You need to smell the city too. I choked on my bread. Smell it? I said. There was something in the bottle. It looked like a piece of bone. It struck me that if the city of bones was actually made from bones, then I might smell bad. Like death. And why hadn't I already smelled the city from the fortress? When I asked Steingat about this, she said, the compound air is filtered. Badness can spread on the air, and Ganthuk's enemies would spread badness here, if given the opportunity. Why, even me, with my superb senses, cannot smell the city from here. Wow, I said sarcastically. Steinkat sniffed my way, crinkled her nose and said, and I can smell foulness to a forest of flowers. Considering I had a good scrub every day, this annoyed me. She handed me the bottle. By now, I was expecting the worst stink to emerge from it. I opened it and sniffed. A lively, fresh smell emerged and tickled my nose. Steinkat said, Spend today getting accustomed to the smell. I wondered why. And the room shimmered, and my legs weakened, and I slumped back into that chair. Steinkat said, Overpowering, isn't it? Like I said, spend today getting accustomed to the smell. Otherwise, once we're outside, I'd be picking you up off the ground within half a minute. I didn't complain. It beats studying any day. And if it meant getting out the front door quicker, I was quite happy to go along with it. So, what in the name of my cousin's husband's cat was this Dunery property brochure thing all about? Of course, like most things I initially encountered in Dunery, I thought the idea of demonstrating the city using property brochures was nuts. I didn't want to look at pictures of bone buildings. I wanted to touch those buildings, explore them, maybe even fear them a bit. That morning, however, I quickly realised that venturing into a city primarily made of bones did need just a bit of preparation. To build a city in my head, brochures were a great idea. They were relatable too. Mum and Dad were always checking out properties advertised in the local real estate agent's window in Dublin. Oh, how can you use the brochure concept to create what habitations exist in your world? In short, how can you create a unique environment that stands out among the countless fantasy cities full of generic taverns, markets, castles, churches, and so on? Firstly, think about the property market. Is there a property market in your world? If so, create a bit of history around it, like how it developed over time, how it's run, and how you can use it to add interesting details 
even if everyone in your world lives in vast communal habitations, or cave worms, or lead nomadic desert lifestyles, there will be some form of property market, even if it only involves rent collectors or tent salespeople. Can a property guide or property seller help build your world for you? These days, you can get a peep inside the most lavish or weird properties simply by browsing through a real estate agent's website. Unfortunately, I cannot demonstrate any dunary habitations for sale here, but if you want some inspiration for your core or any of your habitations, check out www.specialfinds.com. I'll add that to the show notes. For your world or city, think about how the property market evolved from the time the first shack was constructed on new land in a new country. Who owns what? If you were a real estate broker in your fantasy world, what kind of properties would you sell and how would you sell them? Have a bit of fun. Make up some fantasy property brochures. Start with your current home. Draw it out. Notice the basic things needed. A kitchen, bedrooms, lounge, a toilet. Then think about what your home might resemble in your fantasy world. Property advertisements present a wealth of information about localities too. Property prices alone will give you an idea of how a city is laid out. Where the rich live, where the poor live, where anybody lives. And don't settle for your local property market. Log into property sites in India, Kenya, Germany, the Middle East, or wherever. Study what's there, especially the older properties, and compare how people live in different parts of the world. Most buildings will be partially determined by the environment and partially by style. After all, everybody wants a nice house. How can you add your interpretation of those designs to your world? Once again, if you mix the familiar with the unfamiliar, your buildings will be relatable. Example, drop a modern bungalow into a fantasy city, but cover it with dragon scales that act as heat protection from the sun. And when you're finished figuring out the human habitations, why not turn your attention to other inhabitants of your cities? How would non-humans live in human settlements, or vice versa? What needs do non-humans require? Would an alien need a toilet, for example? And consider what disputes may arise over property. Even though the Dunery City of Roses was occupied by a spirit storm a long time ago, there still are disputes about its property. Special courts were built just to deal with these disputes because, of course, Everyone expects to return there someday, and the descendants of those who lost everything want that everything back. Or go back in time. Check out how the property market in ancient times worked. Of course, the warrior with the biggest sword might get the biggest house. But property laws did exist, and those laws might well inspire the foundational property laws in your world. Everything and everyone needs a home. And for the record, my cousin's husband's cat's name is Chime, 
Named so because it likes to sleep under their grandfather clock. That clock is practically her home. And now it is time for this week's Strange But True, which, oddly enough, deals with property. It is well known that some property just will not sell. Resident spirits can sometimes cause this. Take number 62 Lindock Heights as an example. While property in that part of town consistently rose in value, number 62 decreased in value every time it was sold. Why? Because of a troublesome spirit that dwelled inside. Babbling an unknown language, this spirit plagued anyone who moved into the house until they were forced to move out again. Due to the language difficulty, nobody knew who the spirit was, where it had originated from, or what it wanted. The house got such a bad reputation, it was even added to the unofficial City of Bones supernatural tour. And, in a city chock-a-block with supernatural elements, that was no small achievement. In an effort to get rid of the spirit, the house was demolished twice. When that failed, spirit catchers were brought in. And when they gave up, the owner decided it was better to leave the place empty instead of bankrupting himself, trying to get the spirit out. So, the house remained unoccupied. All the neighbours moaned, and the owner gave up trying to sell it. Then a trader arrived in the city. Coming from a remote archipelago, he was looking for a suitable property to set up a trading office to handle imports from his home islands. The owner of number 62 Lindock Heights saw his chance. He convinced the trader that number 62 was the perfect place. It was close to the harbour, roomy, and going for a good price. Now, this trader was no fool. He'd already checked out local property prices and knew that number 62 was too cheap. Something was amiss. Out of curiosity, he viewed it. At some point during the viewing, the spirit appeared, babbling her usual nonsense to drive off any potential occupants. Only, the trader didn't hear nonsense. He heard a very, very old version of his native island language. When the trader replied in his native tongue, the spirit was overjoyed. Turns out, she'd left his home island on an expeditionary trip centuries earlier. Her ship had sunk. She'd been rescued, taken to the city of Bones, and died in number 62 shortly afterwards. Everybody in that house, for centuries, had mistook her intentions. She hadn't been trying to cause trouble or drive anybody out. She had just wanted somebody to talk to. Realising that the owner was trying to cheat him, and knowing that the spirit would behave if he bought the place, the trader played hardball with the owner, and secured the property for half the price. Strange indeed, but very, very true. So, sadly, that's it for this episode. 
before I go, I guess I should thank my sponsor for complicating this show way more than it should be. In case you forgot, this week's show is sponsored by Juravale, the makers of Jura, the finest sugar chocolate this side of the Algot Mountains. Blah, blah, blah. In the next episode, I finally get a look outside of Gandalf's fortress at the City of Bones. And please, if you know someone who might be interested in hearing about the world of Dunery, please, please tell them about this show. Until next time, goodbye. Or, as we say in Dunery, Dreyavik. Why should be like this? What's in this deal? And they fall in the stairs of the moon.